This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you? Very well. So on Friday you were here and now you're not. <laughs> yep. It was a quick trip home to beat that storm, and um, and I I just can't wait to get back down there, actually. It was a beautiful trip to Dunedin. And, really awesome. And what did you do on Friday night? Oh, Friday night we had the Distinguished Alumni Awards. Um, so in my role at Otago Polytech as a facilitator, I have the privilege of facilitating qualifications for some um, phenomenal people. Uh, so I had learners who had done our Master of Professional Practice, Bachelor of Social Services and uh, Bachelor of Applied Management. And of the 20 awards given out that night, six of them had been learners that I had facitated for. So I was really proud. Well done you. And they're all people, well, well that are, all people who are making a difference in their communities. Yep, making huge, measurable difference. And there's a common link that I observed that runs through all of them, and that is um, their volunteer work. The amount of volunteer they work that they do um, is extraordinary, and they, they work with such passion and such uh, commitment to change, which is a kind of a good segue into introducing uh, today's guest, um, who is Ian Finch. Um, he, kia ora, Ian. Yeah, Ian, um, if Ian was an Otago Polytech learner, he would have got that award as well. <laughs> so we might have to sign him up for something, Sam. <laughs> so um, Ian uh, is um, the immediate past president of uh, Rotary here in Whakatane. Um, he is was recently elected to our local DHB. Um, he is an optometrist uh, and a partner in the, the, the largest of the practices that we have around here. Um, and he's a quiz master. Um, his wife, uh, who is one of my most favourite people in the whole world, is a um, previously the manager of a midwifery service. Uh, they are a couple who give so much of themselves. So it's a real pleasure to have you here with us today, Ian. Well, thank you for all those lies. That's great. <laughs> yeah, look, um, you know, one of the great things about living here in Fakatani, I cannot believe that you said you wanted to go back down to Otago when <laughs> you're living in God's own. My goodness, Moera, what are you saying? Um, yeah, no, um, you know, we live in a you know, lovely place. And um, I came from the north of England 30 years ago. And to be blessed to live in a place like Fakatani with such good people as we have here in Fakatani is um, it's, it's living the dream in just about every way, really. So, 
thank you for the invite as well. I, it was uh, lovely to be invited onto your show. So how has your bubble life been? My bubble life? Okay. Well, okay. interestingly, in terms of work, um, you know, obviously we um, we went into the bubble and went from a normal optometry practice to um, suddenly having zero work. Um, that in itself was a, an interesting challenge because our practice is a slightly different sort of optometry practice in that we uh, we do a lot of um, a lot of therapeutics because we don't have ophthalmology in this area. So so what we do is that we we do a lot of therapeutics for the hospital. So we get referrals from ED and referrals from the GPs and such like. And so when the GPs went into um you know the virtual world of, of telemedicine and such like we also went in that same world as well so they would contact us we'd get in touch with the patients the patients may have to come into practice or may have to deal with them remotely or whatever so even though we were technically in the bubble and technically we weren't an essential service uh, mike and i my that's my business partner uh, were probably doing three to four hours a day um on you know on optometry uh, well more ophthalmology than optometry truthfully um but that's that's what you do in a small community you know you do whatever you can do to help everyone out that's that's the whole purpose of being here i imagine it's hard to do that sort of work from a distance yeah you know like anything um, when it, whenever you're triaging any gp will tell you that triaging over the phone has its has its limitations uh, but you get better at it you know, you get better and better, and uh, you ask the right questions. Hopefully, the patients give you the right answers. Um, but we we went into work a great deal uh, on, under level level four, and um, you know, you know, we had some interesting cases. We managed to um, do a lot of work that would have otherwise had to go to ophthalmology, which would have meant travelling. And then, if you get people travelling, you have a greater risk associated with the vectors for um for covid so um yeah we, we just wanted to play our part and to be perfectly honest susan wanted me out of the house for half a day so you know there's, there's some advantages in that as well you know so yeah i drive her mad most of the time when i'm only here for a couple of hours a day so to be here 24 hours a day is um is particularly difficult for her were you talking to people over the phone or via Zoom or something? Yes, both ways. We we had um, ED contact us regularly, giving us their version of things. We had uh, GPs contacting us, and then sometimes the GPs would ask the patients to contact us directly. So it was generally coming through ED and through GPs, or, or sometimes through the ophthalmologists in Tauranga who had had referrals elsewhere and wanted us to triage. Because it was all about trying to stop people having to travel unless it was essential. So one of the things about small communities like Fakatani is that in medicine, you have got to look at where your uh, where people's knowledge base is around the community and say, how can we use that knowledge base effectively to still get the same outcomes without having to get people to travel? So um, it's. We have a, a program at the hospital called the Rural Health Interprofessional Program. Uh, and what that does is it asks all different professionals in their, their last year of training um, if they want to come to Fakatani. And what we do is that we put them all in the same house together. We give them three days a week where they go and work in their own speciality. And then they have the rest of the time working on a project. And the project generally is, is related to the Māori health strategy. 
And so people come into Fakatani and all the these different professionals, you know, we get doctors, we get pharmacists, we get dentists, we get OTs, we get um, speech and language therapists, we get optometrists, obviously, and, and all these people work together on a project. So what you get is all these professionals who start to understand the different opportunities that come by talking to other professionals to see where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, how you can intercommunicate and how you can do better for people in the rural community. Because in the rural community, we really struggle to get specialists, we really struggle to get GPs. So we have to look at things in a different way. And the only way you can do that is, is to get people to look at their training and say, how can we, how can we work together to get better outcomes? And if we don't do that, we set ourselves up in, in rural New Zealand to fail. And we can't have that. You know, we've got this issue around equity and around access to service. And that equity and access to service also means that we need to be using people who have expertise within our community to the maximum extent, not to their minimum extent. And that one of the things that really came out of COVID for me was how we managed to, um, to change things within the health service. You know, we turned from the from the Monday to the Thursday, we changed our health service. And one of the ways that we changed our health service, and I think this is a real key learning, is we didn't dictate from the top. What we did is we said to people, these are the outcomes we want to achieve. How can you facilitate that? So what we did is we changed our whole GP service, we changed our whole outpatient service, we cancelled electives, we set up COVIDs, uh, COVID stations, and that was all done at a local level. So it's done from the bottom up, not from the top down. The top said, these are the parameters, this is what we want to achieve, let's give you the freedom to do that. Now our system historically has never done that. This is the key learning for me from COVID. If we don't learn this, then we've missed a massive opportunity. There is so much good thinking that can be done on a local level. And if we, if we don't accept that and don't look at the gains that we've had in COVID, then we're missing the advantages. You'd still want to share things, though. You'd still want to know, oh, that's a really good thing that Tua Tapari did. Oh, was no, there a no, system no. for sharing the, that? The worst thing that can happen in medicine is siloing. The worst thing that can happen is siloing. You've got to keep talking to each other. Now, that's also one of the good things that can happen on a local level, because at a local level, people keep talking to each other because they see each other all the time. They know each other. You know, they'll talk, they'll, they'll ring up and talk about patients, then talk about the kids playing sport at the weekend. You know, there's a different link there. And then it's a matter of, relationships at the bottom are feeding up to the top rather than the top feeding down to the bottom because historically we've seen in rural society that does not work you know the, the other thing that we've seen a lot of was also within maori society in this area because we're, we're very strongly a bicultural uh, group here in Fakatani. you know we've we've got a very strong you know 50 55 percent maori 40 45 45 50 percent but what we saw during COVID was how the Māori networking can work really well at accessing people and overcoming some of the things that we presently see as equity issues. So again, that's a learning that we can take from COVID.
COVID gave us the opportunity to trial lots of things, which under different circumstances may have taken four, five, six years to trial. And we took four, five, six days to get into them. The thing is, we mustn't lose those learnings. How do you think we can learn that we can do stuff, that things can happen quickly? I think we've got to change the way in which both government and um, you know, into, in, in health management sees their role. Um, government and health management's role should be to facilitate. It shouldn't be to dictate. You know, if we say, right, that these are the criteria, right, this is what we want to achieve, but give people the freedom to find a way of achieving that within their own community, I'm sure you're going to find better outcomes. I, I'm really, it really worries me that we, we dictate from the top. How can you dictate from Wellington what happens in places like Fakatani, what happens in Kaikogi? You know, what happens, you know, the, 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 the solution in Wellington and Dunedin is vastly different to the solution in Fakatani, in Katikati, in Te Aumutu. You know, we need to give local people the opportunity to develop results, develop answers for their community. And I think that's one of the things that we actually saw in COVID, that because the timescale was so tight, local people were enabled. And you look how successful our COVID response was. It was exceptionally good. When we've now gone back to a more centralised approach, you're seeing there's a little more reticence because there's no ownership of the response. If we have ownership of the response, then we're more likely to be adherent to that response. And, and you know, you see what's happening in America, you see what's happening in UK, you see what's happening in France. Um, they've lost complete control. You know, UK is talking about having a lockdown. The lockdown has so many exemptions, it will never work. And so you're, gonna, you, you're not going to gain what we have gained here. But we've got to be very careful that we don't lose the things that we've gained. We've got to look at what our post-COVID world genuinely looks like. And we have an opportunity to dictate what that post-COVID world looks like. We've I'm got to ask... be sure about what we're doing at the border. And we've got to make sure that um, we can still trade internationally very successfully. I'm going to ask you more about that post-COVID world. But first, let's have you two... Blood Red Sky, which I have a sneaking suspicion is actually called something else, Gloria or something like that. Gloria it is, yeah. Gloria is from the, from the album Under a Blood Red Sky. The reason I chose this is because, um, other than karaoke, I love to sing along in the car. So <laughs> when I'm driving far too fast, I love loud music that I can sing along to. And then when the police cars come, I don't hear them. I don't hear the sirens. So, lo and behold, play Gloria, I promise not to sing.
So you were busy working during the lockdown. Did you also have time for the the reset and the walks on the beach and so on that everybody enjoyed so much? Well, I'm, well, I'm quite lucky. We live on a block, so we've got um, a little bit of land and we've got some horses and such like. So, uh, so Sue had me working pretty much all day, every day, <laughs> you know. The, the thing about going back to work is it saved me from all the, the list of things because the list seemed to get longer and longer every every day. The, the biggest frustration for us really was we weren't, uh, the block itself wasn't regarded as an essential service. So you ran out of equipment. You couldn't get fencing stuff. You couldn't get wood and all that sort of thing. So that was quite frustrating. You could see all these jobs that you needed to do <laughs> and actually couldn't get out there and, and do them, which was a bit frustrating. Um, but you know that's life, eh? You know we 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 actually talk now about the um, the seven eight weeks or whatever it was of COVID as as being the holidays, because in many ways for us we were very lucky that that we had the space, you know. Whereas you know my family, my kids, um, you know, uh, lockdown affected them far differently. Um, my my oldest boy has been uh, running a um, an AV company. Uh, for the last 20 years and building it up and uh, of course that you know went from 12 months worth of bookings ahead of him to absolutely zero he lost he spent five days taking phone calls where everything was being cancelled and um, so having a productive business to go down to zero dollars I'm enormously proud of the fact that he's fought his way through that and he's now starting to come back um, he, you know, through the he, he lives in Auckland, and um, he um, during the the lockdown obviously had nothing, but then they came out of lockdown, and then businesses started to think about uh, redoing business. But then, of course, they went into the second lockdown just as he was getting his next big booking. He had a a nine hundred person uh, an event at the Vector, and that all was cancelled. So. His ingenuity was such that he said, right, I, can we do this virtually? Can we do this virtually? So he spoke to the major client and they said, well, if you can arrange it, we'll give it a go. So it was a, a major client who wanted to get 900 of their staff to, to a venue to talk about what they were doing at Christmas. So he managed to arrange with Zoom to do 90 rooms of 10 people. They'd never done that before. The maximum they've done before is 55. They didn't even know they could do it. So he managed to go to the major company's head office. They set up three stages, three stages with 10 people, you know, cameramen, audiovisual people and such like. So there were three separate stages, three separate bubbles, which then fed back into a major console center, which was another bubble that then fed out to 90 bubbles of 10. That ran for eight hours for two days and ran absolutely seamlessly and it's amazing when you see how you know that's one of the things we learned from covid you know when you put the time and effort in and look at the opportunities you can do lots of different things and yet my other son my youngest son he's just uh moved he's in it and he just moved uh into working for a company that does it for schools a company called network for learning and so he's been busier than ever uh, doing network architecture for different schools to arrange uh, distance learning. So 
you know, where there's challenge, there's also opportunity. And all you've got to do is you've got to keep looking through that. You've got to keep positive, keep pushing, looking for the next thing, seeing what you can do to go forward. There's no point looking backwards and moaning. Life is not about looking backwards. It's all about looking forwards. And uh, for me, the main thing is if, if we can keep people if we can keep people positive and keep supporting people, we can go forward like that. Um, similarly, we had, we had a, a negative experience with my father. My father's in UK, and for eight to ten weeks, he was without seeing anybody. And his um, mental health went downhill very, very badly. Uh, but we managed to get some people to come in and see him and look after him a little bit. So he gets a couple of people twice a day. And all of a sudden, his mental health has changed and he's got back to the same guy he was before. So communication, I think, is a big learn. You know, how do you how do you keep in touch with people? Um, one of the things that we did was Zoom. And I'm sure that's been a big thing for many people. But um, I wanted to keep in touch with my grandchildren. So what we did is we arranged for me to read them a bedtime story every night. So we arranged for them to go on a Zoom. We um, started off with a bedtime story. We had to agree on a common book that they would go with. And lo and behold, they went with an Enid Blyton book. Um, but I suddenly found I could do a backdrop. I could do virtual backdrops behind me. And so there's one that's set up within uh, Zoom, which is a Hawaiian beach scene. So I came to them one night with a Hawaiian shirt on <laughs> and we had the Hawaiian beach scene and the kids were winding me up about it. And then I thought, actually, I can put any picture I want behind me. So I decided, right, OK, to the kids, I'm going to come from a different part of the world every day and you have got to tell me where I'm coming from. And so we, we, we chose different pictures. I came from I came from the Taj Mahal. I came from um from uh, giza from the pieces the, the, the pyramids at giza uh, i came from london i came from new york and the kids had to guess where i was from and then i found that i could do a powerpoint and i put up a um picture of the world with a little star and they had to not only guess where i was but they had to put it on the world map and then we went to the next stage which was then i would ask them five questions about where i was and the next day they had to research them and then come back with the answers before we read the story. So we managed to get more interaction with my grandchildren during COVID than I've done since that when I'm not in COVID. <laughs> so it's really just a matter of how much effort you put in along the line. The world is a very easy place when you've, uh, when you've got the internet. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dinan's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are. A triumph of nature's art. Perfect unique and here making things better thank you so i've had a very interesting day and i've been very excited to talk to you about it and of course i'm so grateful for these five minutes together each day it really makes a huge difference to me and it's a great privilege for me i want to thank sam and the whole blowing bubbles team for having you 
So as we know, I share my life with a multitude of beautiful beings here in the Womansion. And of course, not only here in the Womansion, but in the wider expanse of Otipoti Stun Eden. And not just right here, right now in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but globally. And there are so many lives that I'm connected to that I love and adore. But also, of course, all life is connected to our life in an infinite web. All the lives living now, all the lives that have come before, and all the lives that are waiting to be born. We are connected constantly as part of this wonderful experience we're all partaking in, we're all part of. And one of the beings close to me, who I've known now for more than six years, Harvey Penfold, has frolicked way up north to celebrate his birthday with his whānau. And I decided to stay here in Otipoti Stun Eden. So we've had some time apart. And this is quite unusual for us. And whilst Harvey Penfold is interactive on a non-verbal and emanatory level, he's not wildly interactive. So it hasn't been too different not having him here, except that obviously his physical presence is, is not with me. And it's been a very interesting experience for me because, of course, it's always very useful. It's always very beneficial to have these times when we are alone as the only human being in the space. And not only am I the only human being in the Womansion, but I'm the only me in the Womansion. Of course, I'm surrounded by beautiful Poirot and Hastings the cats, Nawahineataho, the beautiful hens at Hey Hey HQ, and a multitude of very small life forms, I'm sure, that are coating all surfaces here in the Womansion. But it's been an opportunity for me to re-engage with my life. And I think if we can have opportunities to do this, it's wonderful. We can take a bit of a step back from our own life and just really enjoy diving and delving into it appreciating the richness and the diversity of all the experiences that have brought us to where we are right here right now all the pain all the angst all the suffering all the misery all the unhappiness all the transformation all the power all the healing all the love all the joy all the laughter all the bliss all the pleasure all the fun all the excitement and of course it doesn't stop and of course our awareness over time just grows and grows and we can appreciate it all more and more. So I've been really enjoying moving between different levels of proximity to my own experience and marvelling at it really, it's been wonderful. Not only have I been enjoying appreciating this time on my own, but I've also been really enjoying connecting with a lot of my dear friends who I've known for a very long time in the absence of Harvey Penfold's presence. So speaking to my dear friend Flora, who I've known for many, many years now, I was reminded of these parts of myself that I haven't connected with for some time, and I was so grateful for that. So I really hope that wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, you are able to appreciate the marvellous, marvellous miracle that you are, the richness of your life, the richness of your personality, the beauty and power of your spirit and all the people that surround you, that love you, that can remind you of how wonderful you are and that you have many more fun adventures with awaiting you. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite.
And you were talking before about the experience of your dad, and I guess for all of us, we now take our, our digital life for granted. This has become our natural place to play. But for people of your dad's generation, um, that isolation must have been difficult. It was terrible. Um, the isolation was awful for him. He didn't realise it, but he um, he started to have panic attacks. He was ringing my brother four or five times a day. Um, he got very panicked about food. He got very panicked about access to food. Um, he became quite illogical a lot of the time. So when we were ringing him, uh, even though we were trying to communicate, he wasn't really in a good headspace to do that. Um, what it really shows is that personal communication, particularly for the elderly, is so important. Um, but I know from someone else that's been involved in mental health issues here in, in, in New Zealand that they had a terrible time during COVID. And, um, and when this person tried to access mental health, it didn't work particularly well. And, um, you know, a lot of mental health needs communication. And um, we just need to be mindful of that. We can all help, you know, just by being uh, there for people, even if it's just to talk, even if it's just to ask, you know, what have you been doing today? You know, just just to get inside someone and know that someone cares. That's really important. And I think that's something that, that I've seen a lot through COVID. Um, you know, just the simple things. Just talk to people. Remember that friends are um, friends are not just there for you in the good times. Friends are there for you in the bad times. You know, and and we need to we need to be good good people. And good people just ring up and say, "What are you doing today?" It's as simple as that. Yeah. Sounds deep, but it isn't really, is it? It's so so basic. <laughs> You know, back in the days when I was a kid, you know, um, I used to live in a little cobbled street in the north of England. And um, I used to spend a lot of time with my grandmother. And she would always say, oh, I haven't seen Auntie Bertha for a while. Just pop down and see how she is. So as a seven-year-old kid, I'd be sent down the road to see another old lady and just say, oh, Grandma says, how are you going? She says, do you need anything from the shop? Because if you do, I'm, I've been sent to go and get it. You know, now, we don't need to lose that. We don't need to be, we don't need to interfere in people's lives. But in the same way, just to show concern, that's, a, that's, that's aroha, you know. And um, we, we just need to do that sometimes. We've become quite isolated in our world. And um, we shouldn't be. We need, we, need to, we need to turn that around. That, that message of aroha, the... And the be kind message and the team of five million worked really yes. well across the the community. Was you were talking before about the response of the the health system? Was that message also what was driving the health system, or was there something else? Was there a I don't know? We can do this. How was that communicated? Um. Right, okay, I have, to, I have to be a little bit careful here because I've got a personal view and I've got a DHB view because I, I sit on the DHB as well. Um, one of the big things from a DHB perspective 
you know, we were very much about organizing ourselves in case a pandemic occurred. You know, we didn't know what was coming when we came to level four. We didn't know whether we were going to get the numbers they were seeing in Europe. We didn't know whether our health system was resilient enough to cope with that. Um, the health system here in Tani had just been through Fakari. You know, we'd been through the incident on the 9th of December when, when Fakari blew up. And our hospital had proven itself to be absolutely exemplary during that time. I mean, absolutely exemplary. The work that was done on that day um, will be used as an exemplar for uh, small hospitals all over New Zealand. Uh, but there's a lot of emotional uh, stress that came from that. And then suddenly we came to COVID and people rallied around so well. Um, but what we did as a health board is we said to people, right, this is what we need to achieve. Let's get on and do it. Let's not limit you. Let's give you a chance to do it. And if it goes wrong, let's change it. And, and people did that. And we had a very strong response to COVID. Obviously, there were issues where we had to cancel all our electives. So all of those things changed. We had to set up red hospitals and green hospitals, hospitals that were going to be completely COVID and green ones that were just going to do the business as usual sort of stuff. And of course, it, in the end, it turned out that that was really like a um, a phony war. You know, it, it was like 1939. Um, you know, you're at war with Germany, but nothing happened. And it was like ourselves were at war with COVID and nothing happened. Um, but if we hadn't made all the preparations, we could have been in a terrible situation. Um, so that's from a from a health board perspective. And, and the way the PHAs worked through that time with all their local knowledge um, was was it changed the way we got into local communities. The fact we managed to get out into the valleys, the fact we managed to get out down the coast, you know, all of that is about local people knowing local people and saying, come on, let's get stuck together. You know, we have the situation where people down in Whanau Apanui were really worried to death that we had these idiots coming in from Europe and getting into camper vans and wanting to drive around the country. And people were worried that, look, they're setting up roadblocks if I were Fano Apanui, I'd be setting up roadblocks as well because you didn't want people who could be carrying COVID coming into our remote communities and causing absolute havoc because our, 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 you know, our, our kōro and our queer would have just, they'd have just been the first to disappear. And we can't accept that. So if you've got, again, if you've got local people trying to do good things, let's support them. Let's not criticise them, you know. Um, if if someone's doing something that is morally illegal, then that's a different issue. But they weren't. People there were were looking after their community. That's got to be a good thing. You know? So what um, what lessons do you think we can take from this experience for the 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 longer questions, the bigger questions, the intergenerational ones, climate change, social inequity, and so on? Um, right. Okay. In in terms of um, right. So, in terms of social inequity, um, I think the big issues there is really about how do you advantage people and give them the opportunity to find solutions that work for them. Um, you know, in in terms of equity, in terms of health, because COVID obviously is a health response. 
is is that you've got to say what is going to work for your community and i'm a great believer that what we do is that we don't dictate from up top you know and, and mawera would be very uh, aware of this because mawera and i were very involved in, in the district health board elections together and one of our big points was that we really wanted people to appreciate that health should be led from the people who who are actually needing the health care so health care should be led from the bottom up not from the top down so instead of saying this is your problem this is how we're going to fix it we need as a management system to be asking what are your problems do you know what the solutions are can i facilitate those solutions now if we can do that then we'll have turned a whole system on its head and a lot of people at the top of management don't like that because they lose control but really good management modern management is not about control and command it's about facilitating outcome so it's about how do we find out what outcomes are required if we find what outcomes are required we can then ask what do you think the solutions are and then facilitate the solutions so for me one of the big things about COVID was that we had a challenge of time a massive challenge of time which said right we're going from level one to level four in a matter of less than a week and so you couldn't control and command from the top so what we had to do was allow people to make decisions and when they did we actually got outcomes which were successful for individual communities. For me, that's probably the biggest learning. And our biggest challenge is not to let that go back to the way that it was. Let's take Bruce Springsteen's glory days. Turn on a ball. 
So the reason right. I chose Glory Days is, again, it's another sing-along song. Um, but the reason I chose it is because it sort of suggests that your glory days are always in the past. I think we've got to say to people, right, look at the past, but your glory days should always be in front of you. So keep looking forward to the next glory days, not to the, the back one. So so that, that song for me, when I was listening to it earlier today, I thought, you know, it's it's great to talk about what you were and what you could have been and such like, but that's that's not, that's negative. You need to be looking at what you can be and how you can change the world in order to be better. I have some questions to end the show with and almost negative time to do them, so we'll have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? What is the biggest success I've had in the last couple of years? Oh, my goodness. Probably um, my election to the District Health Board, for which I have to say a massive thank you to Mawera because her uh, political acumen is, is, is exceptional. And also one of my biggest disappointments in that time was the fact that um, I wasn't accompanied onto the board um, by Mawera because I think that she would have been a massive, massive asset to us. But um, the coming onto the District Health Board gives me the opportunity to be able to make some big changes, I, I hope, um, or I have some influence on some changes. So that would be my big one of my big ones. The other one, actually, an interesting one is... Um, through my Rotary involvement, uh, I've also um, got involved with Hughes Place Garden in Taniatua. And Mawera will know this because we did a quiz night together there for them the other week. And to come across some really great people working so well for their community, um, it really uh, lifts your spirit when, when you see people who just give of themselves for others. And uh, so big ups to uh, Honey and to Tamiana and all the other people that helped them out at the huge place garden in, in Taniatua. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. Oh, well, if you look at Tomorrow's Heroes, I need you to look at Honey and Tamiana because yep. they're just nurturing things for themselves. They're nurturing a whole community. And there's not just, not just Honey and Tamiana, but there's lots of other people there that, are, that help out a great deal. And those people are the future of our community. Communities only survive when people give. I, I have a great fear that what happened through Reaganism and, and through monetarism is that we, we created a community that was all about ourselves. You know, take, take, take. Look after yourself first. If you do that, your community doesn't, doesn't survive. Uh, and what I see from Hughes Place Garden is exactly the opposite. It's people who get out there and really make differences for people so if anybody wants to look at something that they can do look at the the philosophy that comes from hughes place garden and see if you connect that enact that in your own community we shall certainly follow up with those i'm sure mawira knows how to find them but meanwhile you're in our book of superheroes you're on our team what is your superpower I don't have a superpower. Uh, people will tell you that I'm no superhero. I don't have a superpower. Um, the, the one thing that I think if, if you're going to do anything in life is to care, care about things, care about what's important to you, care about what's important to your community uh, and get out there and actually make a difference. You can talk about it forever, but unless you actually do something, nothing ever changes. So just get out there, care about things and make it make a difference. 
That sounds like a good advice. Moira. Um, Ian, I absolutely love knowing you. You are a person who is so incredibly authentic and I love that you care and may you never change, ever. Look, doll, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I came to New Zealand and, you know, was a, it was a little bit lost at that stage and New Zealand has changed me a great deal and um, I'm ever grateful for coming to Whakatani. It's, it's my Turanga Waiwai and uh, for me, you know, it's been the best decision I've ever made and I just want to give back as much as I possibly can. So thanks very much for letting me have the opportunity to do so. So, great. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll go out to Talking About a Revolution by Tracy Chapman. Don't you know Talking about a revolution sounds whisper. Don't you know talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper? While they're standing in the welfare lines, crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation, wasting time in the unemployment lines, sitting around waiting for. Don't you know, talking about a revolution sounds whisper. Poor people gonna rise up and get their share. Poor people gonna rise up and take what's there. Blowing Bubbles, Positive Conversations with People in Their Bubbles, Their Safe Spaces Around the World. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and also in Fakatani, Ian Finch. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.